Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast. Another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. We are back after a month off, and Dylan Hughes, in the tradition of throwing curveballs, when you expect a fastball, let's talk about your Cincinnati Reds. I have not been paying any attention to baseball at all the last month. It looks like, I checked the standings last night, it looks like they're still in the hunt for the wild card. How are you feeling about your Redbirds, and should Joey Votto win the MVP? I'm feeling terrible about them. Um... I will admit, and I've said this before, I'm a casual baseball fan. So when the Reds were hot, I was watching pretty much every day. You know, like it was it was great to watch those guys get some hits for the first time in my life. But Winker's been hurt. The pitching, the pitching has been up and down all year. The f- don't even get me started on the bullpen. I mean, just a disaster. I I, I want to go dig up some old retired dead pitchers and throw them out there because they have to have a better shot than these guys at keeping guys off the base. It's it, they're lucky that the Padres have been just as bad. Um, and I will say, and this is going to set the Reds up for playoff disappointment is the fact that they play the pirates three times before the season ends. <laughs> and oh, I haven't no. done that, but I think it's like nine of 20 games or something like that where they play the pirates. So they're probably going to get in, and I don't even know if I want to watch the wild card game because they're going to lose it. Like, I have no faith in them at this point. The offense is the best it's ever been, but they just cannot keep guys off base. And I will say also, since we're talking baseball, that I just spent the long weekend in Milwaukee. Um, home of champions, by the way. So it was nice, nice to see Pfizer Forum. Got a nice – it's a really cool-looking arena. That was cool to see. Um, went to a Brewers game, and Brewers-Cardinals, my two arch nemesis uh, in the same building. But the Cardinals, man, like I had to root for the Cardinals because the Brewers are the top of the division. I'm like, I can't root for the, for the Brewers. And the Cardinals do me a solid, and they lay down two hits for the game. So, baseball – the baseball fan in me right now is, has committed suicide. He is dead. Uh, maybe the Reds will revive him at some point, but it's not looking good right now. So I have a uh, baseball references playoff odds pulled up and your Cincinnati Reds. The best case scenario is 90 wins. The worst case scenario is 83 wins and the Padres. The best case scenario is 87 wins and their worst case scenario is 80 wins. So, I mean, like you said, I'm pretty sure there's some pirates shenanigans mixed up in that. And Listen, you know, I hope, you you know, you make it, you get to experience the play-in game. It's one game. Anything can happen, you know? It's like, that's the magic of the of the sport. So, you know, you get hot, you get a, that's a deep drive into left by Castellanos that makes it for nothing. I don't know if I'll ever put on this headset again. Um, you know, that <laughs> anything can happen. So, I'm Dylan, I hope they make it. My White Sox are cruising to the division. Um, we have a 12-game lead over the... Cleveland baseball team right now. So I'm happy about that, but I'm, I'm concerned, you know, the Rays look really great. Um, the Red Sox are the Yankees, whoever makes it out of, 
out of the wild card. I'm, I'm just concerned, Dylan, but it's okay. You know, but maybe we'll still, we still have dreams of meeting in the World Series. I will say, I also saw the, the White Sox um, field on the way down um, to back to Indy. Took a little detour through Chicago. So, you know, it's uh, I, I kind of left them some good luck for you because, listen, I can't root for any team among the Running Hook Podcast Network. I hate everyone, okay? Bryce Shaddy is somehow a Red Sox fan. Still don't get it. Any Boston fan in any city or state, dead to me. Hate him. Um, so, Bryce Shaddy, uh, you know, when I come to your wedding next month, uh, I'll try to leave that to the side. But for now, fuck you and your Red Sox. Um, Caleb Lynn is a Cardinals fan. He he isn't a fan of any team in the world except the Cardinals. So, that's just a terrible sign. He's a Clemson and, fan, but he's denying it. Yeah. And then I don't think anyone else cares about baseball, really, except for our Reds fans in there. So well, you well, and JD, Nicole, I will support you. Oh, yeah, the Cubs. JD and Zach, are, they're having a rough time right now. You know what? Yeah, I, I'm not going to rain on their parade too much because they've traded away every good player they've ever had. So I'll, I'll leave them out of this. But, you know, you and Nicole are firm um, – White Sox fans and I I'm rooting for you guys and it's mostly because you're in the different um, conference but you know it is what we're, it is we're I'm hoping I'm hoping for a good outcome you know go White Sox go Reds um, also a little bit of little bit of news before we get into the day your boy Etwan Moore sticking around in the league signing with the Orlando Magic so I know you feel great about this you know Purdue Boilermaker still in the league you know, you, you needed this, Dylan, for, for your sanity, really. Yeah, you know, it's nice to see the the boil, the, the one boiler that's, that's survived um, to this point stick around. Just cl- collect the checks, man. Collect the checks. Keep the name alive. Jaden Ivey will join him next year. And he if Etron Moore wants to retire next year, that's fine. I get it. We'll have Ivey um, carrying the, the torch. So good for Etron, man. He's... He was a part of one of my favorite Boilermakers teams, and uh, it's been it's been fun watching him. He's been carrying that torch, as I said. So good to see. Shout out to Robbie Hummel. Um, let's move on to the actual. You know, we you know we've been gone for the last four weeks. Have you been paying attention to this podcast? If not, hello, welcome. We took a four week hiatus, so we're going to discuss some of the moves that we missed. And I think I do want to talk about the Ben Simmons situation. This is in, this is fascinating to me. So Dylan, you, when I said we should talk about Simmons, you're like, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but he's actually physically demanded a trade. Like, I think that that's set in stone. Now they're trying to get him out of Philadelphia. And obviously I don't, based on the way that they were talking about him after the series, um, I don't think they want him back. And there's been some interesting reports out there. Apparently the Kings aren't going to offer Halliburton or Fox for Simmons, which makes sense. Um, I mean, I personally would offer Halliburton, but I'll, I'll get to how you feel about that. Apparently, the only two teams that are still like trying to offer anything right now, according to Philly.com, are the Cavs and the Wolves. And so, Dylan, <laughs> Ben Simmons' stock is at an all-time low. And I mean, can this is just my main question about this, and I'll, I'll we'll kind of go a little deeper, but not too deep. How do you think that there's any way Ben Simmons sock can bounce back from the all-time low that it's currently at. I would say it's hard to go lower than this, but as far as 
a huge bounce up. I don't know. I mean, like, I just keep thinking back to the layup, man. Like, when 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 you see a basketball player that's what six seven, six eight, that stands under the basket with a ball and passes it, you can't get that out of your head easily. Like that's something that that just lingers. And this is a playoff game. This isn't some stupid the Tuesday night game against the Magic. Like this is a game that they were disappointing losing to the Hawks. Like they should have beat the Hawks. And Ben Simmons had a chance to help them do that, and he chose. Did he pass it to Tobias Harris? Was that it who was, it was? It was Thibel. Thibel, who fucking touches the ball four times a game, and those are all times when he steals it. <laughs> so it's it's tough, man. Like, you know, talking about giving up Fox or Halliburton, I mean, I think the Kings should trade for him because what the hell else are they going to do? I mean, they – the Kings never give themselves a chance to improve. I mean, they they have the draft every year, which I will say lately they've done a better job. But they screwed up Marvin Bagley. That was a pick they never should have made, and it's really hurt them now. And I don't know what else they can do. Like, I don't know who's out there that they can trade for that's really going to help them aside from Simmons. And – is Simmons going to make them a title contender? No. Is he going to give them a much better chance of making the playoffs? Yes. So I think a trade that makes more sense to me would be something like Heald and Harrison Barnes. I think, I mean, I don't know if, I'm sure it seems like Philly wants the world for some reason, and that probably would not entice them too much. You know, if you want to attach a first to that, maybe the Sixers sent something small back. I don't know. But I personally, if I was running the Kings, I would offer something like that. And if I was running the Sixers, I'd probably take it because I just don't know who who is who is knocking on the door of Ben Simmons. Like Portland, we've talked about, I think makes sense because of the Dame factor and the fact that straight up really from a column, I think is pretty fair for both sides or it's at least close. I don't know. Like I, outside of those two teams, you got the teams that don't need Simmons or don't want him and they're good. And you've got the teams that maybe could use Simmons, but they're kind of tanking. So it's like, they're not going to try to get a good player. So I don't know. I don't know where the, where the Sixers go from here. I don't know where Simmons goes, but maybe they just bench him and figure it out. I don't know. We'll see. There's still time before the season comes around, but I mean, there's got to be some sort of a desperation factor considering that it's, it's amazing that Simmons has turned the Sixers into the enemy. The problem, despite like he, we've talked about this before, but his circle is really bad for him because if he thinks the Sixers are the problem, then he has no self awareness at all. He Simmons to me, he is a good player. I think that the more apt description for him is like top of the line role player, right? Or like maybe top of the line floor raiser, not a ceiling raiser, a floor raiser. We saw him when Joel was out in 2018, when he was a rookie, lead the team on like a, I think they were like 32 and 32. And I think they won all their games the rest of the way. I think they went on an 18 game winning streak to get the third seed. 
in the 2018 playoffs. And then what happened? They schemed about of the playoffs. The Celtics did against, you know, using Jalen Brown, using Tatum. You know, that Celtics team is going to go like underrated for a while. But that team was actually kind of loaded. I don't think we appreciated that in real time because LeBron just kicked their ass in game seven. But that Celtics team took him out of the series. Then 2019, you know, kind of a weird team in retrospect, but still that team probably should have made the finals. And Ben Simmons was taken out of the series by the Raptors. They took him out of the series. 2020, he doesn't play. And then 2021, an indefensible series because there is absolutely no one on the Hawks. Like DeAndre Hunter was hurt. And he was the only guy you could say, hey, this guy can guard Ben Simmons one-on-one, right? Or at least the idea that we have in our mind of Ben Simmons. And the idea that we have in our mind of Ben Simmons isn't what he is anymore. He's not, you know, he's not going to go out and get you 20 points a game. At best, he's going to get you 15. And I don't think this has gotten through Ben's head either. He looks at the performance he had against Utah. He's where he had 42 points. And he's like, yeah, I can do that all the time. Then why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? You have an incredibly spaced floor. Your worst shooter in the playoffs is Tobias Harris at 37%. You have to respect Danny Green. You have to respect Korkmaz. You have to respect Seth Curry. Like those guys, you all have to respect their jumpers. And why aren't you attacking the basket more? I know Joel likes to take up real estate down there. So what? Attack and kick it out. You don't. He doesn't attack the basket. He drives laterally instead of, you know, horizontally right he doesn't like he doesn't go up and down and that's a Simmons problem and Simmons has always struck me as a guy that just you know he wants he wants everything to look great right there's like you know a sense of vanity about him which you know maybe I I don't know like that maybe that's a little too close maybe that's a little too on the line but just like he seems like he wants everything to look perfect rather than, you know, work hard and try to make himself perfect. Like he doesn't want to look, he doesn't want to look like he's failing. That's the better way to say what I was trying to say. He doesn't want to look like he's failing. And when he's, you know, shooting free throws, he's failing a lot. So he doesn't drive. Well, look at Giannis, look at Giannis. And yeah, maybe it is an unfair comparison, but like, that's literally the only guy in the league that has a body like you. So maybe you send him to Sacramento and he has more space. Well, is he going to actually attack the rim or is he just going to, you know, get like 50, like 10 feet in and shoot his little right running hook? You know, no pun intended. Like, is he going to, you know, go to Minnesota and just drive and kick to cap, which isn't honestly the worst outcome. But I, I just the only sense, the only location that even makes an iota sense to me is if he thinks to go to if he goes to Golden State, they have the pieces to trade for. For Simmons. The question is, does Daryl want to deal with them? Does he like what they have? And will like is Draymond gonna be leaving? Like what how is that gonna work with two non-shooters on the floor? Like it's it's gonna be I it just doesn't work <laughs> in a lot of places. And I, I'd be curious to see where he ends up because of that. Yeah, I think the vanity point is kind of a good one because again, think about the layup. No one wants to blow an open layup. I think that's what he was thinking. He was thinking more about man, I'm going to get memed on Twitter if I miss this layup more than, holy shit, we're about to fucking lose the series. <laughs> like the fact that he was more concerned about the fact that he may look, you know, make an embarrassing play is like, that's a really bad sign. And as you were talking, I was thinking back 
2015 when, you know, there were some people having the Ben Simmons versus Brandon Ingram discussion because I believe they were both the top rated uh, prospects out of high school. And then they were the top two picks. So I, I, at the time, and again, like, I don't, I don't try to do victory laps on my takes anymore because we're all stupid. Like we're all stupid. We're all guessing. I think if you're a scout, you should do that. But I, I'm not going to watch, like, I, I don't want to watch 20, 20 games of basketball and think I know anything about a player. Like it's, it's stupid. It's my ego wants me to do it, but I'm trying not to do it anymore. But I, I was always saying Brandon Ingram and I think I bought a little bit of the, the KD comparison with him. Uh, the, you know, the skinny assassin or whatever kind of vibe. And I mean, look at, look at the two last season, Brandon Ingram has turned himself into an all-star. He was playing on a new Orleans team that had no space he had to share the ball with a, a guy that really needed the ball almost all the time. And he was dominant, man. Like we talked about New Orleans a lot last year, how horrible they were to watch. But Brandon, Brandon Ingram always got to his spots and he was pretty consistent at every level of the floor. And he's just turned himself into a really good basketball player. And Ben Simmons has basically been the same player his whole career he has set this really high floor of being such a great defender and a great passer. And he hasn't really gotten better at anything. Like the fact that he is a great defender is a reason that we have loved him so far to this point. And it's a reason that, you know, he's consistently discussed as one of the better players in the league solely because of his defense, really. And obviously he has a lot of good offensive games too, but when it matters, he doesn't show up. And Brandon Ingram hasn't really had a chance to show up yet because I don't think he's made the playoffs yet. But when he gets to that point, I have a feeling he's not going to worry about missing a 20-foot a jump shot to win the game like he wants to win the game. So that that's really my biggest problem with Simmons and probably a problem that a lot of teams have with him is that he's just – his mindset is not of a winner. It's about being a famous basketball player, and that is not a good sign. Could you imagine Brandon Ingram with – the 76ers spacing like that's literally the guy they need next to a bead like the big wing creator who can you know he's what philly fans thought tobias harris was i don't think philly fans are that hyperbolic about tobias but you get what i'm saying like he's what he's the best case scenario of tobias harris and i think that they have two of those guys on their roster they're in a really good spot you brought up the 2016 you know you're talking about ingram versus uh Ingram versus Simmons. Low-key, one of the shockers of that that draft is that Jalen Brown's better than both of them. I don't think that's a controversial opinion at all. That 2016 between Simmons, Ingram, Brown, and Jamal Murray, that's a pretty good four best players in a draft. And Pascal Siakam was in that draft too. So you have, you know, those top, if that's your top five in a draft, like in terms of just overall players, that's pretty good. But I... First, I hope he doesn't go to Cleveland. Cleveland's the absolute worst case scenario for him. And if he goes to Cleveland, that means Colin Sexton is going back to Philly. And that means Colin Sexton is going to average about 28 points a game next year with all that fucking spacing around him. Are you kidding me? He was so efficient with that terribly shooting with that terrible shooting Cavs team. Like, and this is the problem. 
with the Sacramento and the and the Minnesota offers. They just don't have what Daryl wants. Daryl knows that, like, you know, I've heard this a bunch on other podcasts, so I'm not going to credit them, but I've just heard it a bunch. Like, this is his one chance to get something back that's substantial for Simmons. Because are you going to get something substantial back for Seth Curry? Could get something substantial back for Danny Green? No. So this is your one shot. This is your one chip, and you got to cash it in. And I'm sure he thinks he can do better than Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes. But you have those two guys on your team. Your floor gets a lot better. Tobias Harris, you know, while he's doing more, he's going to have more space. He's going to be, you know, Buddy's going to be electric there. If they had J.J. Redick doing as well as he did there, imagine what Buddy Heald would do. I think my ideal package, honestly, and I know I think you might disagree with this. I would trade Halliburton and Heald for Simmons. Like, it fits both the timelines. You have a defensive lineup with the Kings of Simmons, Mitchell. You have Fox out there, but he's Fox is garbage on defense, but that's okay. You can cover for the point guard. You're going to have Simmons, Mitchell. You're going to have Barnes, and you're going to have Rashawn Holmes. I mean, that in terms of defensive lineups, that might jot them into the top six of the West. Like, but if they, <laughs> it's just so hard because Halliburton, you, you see Tyrese Halliburton here, like there's no way this dude is on Simmons' level. And he's probably not. But if he's the next tier down and he can elevate your team, I don't think that's a bad deal for either sides. <laughs> I will say it's a lot easier to part with Halliburton when you have Mitchell there. And hell, if you want to trade Mitchell, I mean, like they have an extra piece, you know, if, if they want to pair either of those guys with healed, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Cause again, I think they have to take a risk at this point because what's the downside. I mean, they, they're top, like they pretty much hit their top, I think at this point. And I don't know how much Simmons moves the needle, but it's definitely more than what they have now because as, as much as I don't really like Simmons at this point, I think he would be better playing off of another guard. I think that's the biggest problem with Philly is that he's the main ball handler. And, I mean, he's a great passer, but his lack of shooting really limits just the offense that he's on in general. And, you know, Sacramento – De'Aaron Fox is a main ball handler that can't really shoot that well either, but he's he's a lot at least got a pull-up game to some extent, which Simmons doesn't have. And hell, I mean, we talked a lot about dribble handoffs with Dame. You know, I that's why I think it would be awesome there because he would create so many good looks for Dame. That's I mean, that would be great. And I think for Portland, it would help them keep Dame because Dame would be pretty happy. <laughs> And he wouldn't have to create his own shots all the time like he has been. And, you know, it's not going to be the same with De'Aaron Fox, but De'Aaron Fox is so quick. Having a dribble handoff with Simmons where he can just beat the defender to the rim, I think there would be a lot of that. And, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I understand the point about Daryl Morey wanting to cash the chip in, but you got to be realistic and – I mean, Halliburton or Mitchell and Heald, like you get a guy that's pretty, like a pretty high-end shooter in Heald. As, as much as we complain about him, I mean, this dude like two years ago was unstoppable from three. Like his his high-end ceiling or floor or whatever of what he can do as a shooter is is seriously some of the best in the league. 
And you add Halliburton or Mitchell, who are both kind of similar guys. I think Mitchell's more explosive, but they're both pretty good all around. Like they can hit shots, they can dribble, they can defend. I mean, it, it'd be hard to do better than that, I think, unless some team gets desperate somehow. But I'd be surprised if there's a much better offer that comes than that. Because if you're Minnesota, you're not offering Edwards. You're not offering, you know, I mean, and obviously I don't think Kat and Joel could play together. So Minnesota basically has McDaniels to offer, who, you know, we both love, me in particular. Um, D'Angelo Russell, who is about as good as Halliburton is, I'd say. Like, they're, they're about in the same quality of player. And then Malik Beasley, who, shout out to Caleb Lynn. Caleb loves Malik Beasley, but it's real to, to question whether or not that 30-game stretch was real. Like, he was good. He's been, you know, a really good NBA player for 36 games. Like, I, I, I think I'm within my rights to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm doubting this a little. So, I... <sighs> The CJ thing is obviously it's been floated in the ether for a while. Like that's seemed to be the most obvious one, but like at this point, would you even want to move CJ for Ben? Like if you're the Blazers, like you already have Nurkic. He can't Nurkic is flash a jumper. He can't really shoot that well though. And then, you know, obviously Covington had really great shooting seasons with, um, with Ben Simmons, but like, I just I don't know like even if you do that for Simmons I it's his stock is so low that that's a legitimate question. Yeah, and and trading CJ creates another hole. So I don't know. I, I definitely think Sacramento makes the most sense. I I wouldn't be shocked if Minnesota did it either. I've I've said before that I wouldn't trade Russell because Russell hits shots when it matters. But when you have Edwards. I guess you don't have to have that guy. I would rather have two guys that can do that um, just for diversification reasons. But, I mean, if you can get away with Russell and Beasley, I mean, that's kind of the same thing that the Kings would offer, you know. It's it's not too different. So, I don't know. I think for those two teams, it definitely makes the most sense. Portland, again, I think it would work with Dame specifically. But as a team, it probably would create – a hole that would just be taken advantage of just as they have with CJ right now. So it, it may not be worth it, but again, I, I wouldn't be shocked if just because of the Dame situation, if they wanted to go that direction. What if you would, what if Portland and Minnesota, they work together on a three team trade and instead of getting Simmons, Portland gets, they get Beasley, they get Russell and they get McDaniels. Would you, if you're Neil O'Shea, who, you know, I took a blowtorch to a couple months ago, you, you kind of call me down over text, but still, I don't, I'm not a particular fan of how he's approached, you know, this whole last couple seasons with the Blazers. How, if you're O'Shea, would you take not having Simmons for having Beasley and basically Beasley and McDaniels and Russell instead? Yeah, that that's more appealing because you fill that two spot with a pretty good player you get a really good bench creator and you get who I think could be an all defense player like next year. It's very possible. So I mean, that, that, I think that would definitely, you know, from a full roster standpoint, that fills it out 
more completely. It probably raises their floor from where it's at now. And, you know, it's not maybe necessarily the splash that Simmons gets you, but who cares about splash at this point? I don't think Norm is as good as CJ is, but I don't think the drop-off is enough where you're like, oh, no, we're losing CJ McCollum. You know, like, I think that you can live with the Norm Powell being your secondary creator, and you can live, you know, with D'Angelo Russell being... Having Russell, Powell, and Dame is better than having... Actually, no, having CJ is better. But then having Beasley and McDaniels on the wings in addition to Covington and a guy we'll talk about later in Larry Nance, I think that that's going to be... They'll actually have some fucking defenders around Dame. <laughs> Something they never... Like, they don't... Their best defenders have been Mo Harkless and Alfred Aminu for the better part. Yeah, obviously, both of them aren't on the team anymore, but those two have been their best defenders for the better part of a decade. So, I don't, I don't know. This Simmons situation is confusing. If you had to guess, this is going to be our last Simmons thing. Is he traded before training camp, which starts on, I think they report to training camp on September 28th, or is he going, or is this going to go on till, let's just say January 15th or later? I would probably guess sooner rather than later, but it's hard to say because, man, like Philly probably wants to trade him now. But from a value standpoint, it's usually better to wait as long as you can. And pushing up against a deadline kind of forces teams to maybe give up a little more than they wanted to because of desperation. So I don't know. Like, is is Simmons okay with playing and are the A okay with playing Simmons? That's really what answers that question because if he wants to hold out or whatever – then I guess if he's going to hold out, maybe they just don't care. And they're just like, whatever, we'll just wait and, and field offers as they come. But I don't know. I, I guess it, it could be like, um, like a Harden deal where it's like right before the season starts. I guess that would be my, my guess as of now, but I'm not tied to that at all. <laughs> okay. So you're talking about the Harden to okay. The Harden from OKC deal. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, the last Harden deal took place in January. But you're you're correct. You're correct. That I think I'll just say there's no way he's traded before training camp. Unless something stirs in the next three weeks, it just seems flat out implausible. Like we're recording this on the eighth, September eighth. It starts tra- their training camp starts three weeks from the day before we're recording this. So I I just don't see it. You know, if they can get him off of their team, that's going to be the best for them. But after what Doc and Joel, you could argue whether or not it was rightfully, they threw him under the fucking bus after that playoff series. Like, and it wasn't just like under the bus. Like that bus ran, it was like an 18-wheeler. That bus ran him over like with all 18 wheels. They threw him under the bus hardcore. So I I don't see any way that it's tenable like anyway. And Joel went on a weird Twitter thing. I don't know if you saw that, where he's like, you know, there's no rift between me and Ben. Then he also said, you know, some people can handle criticism, but I'm built different. Choose your fucking message, Joel. <laughs> um, make up your mind. So I, I just don't see any way it can, can go on any further. But that's enough Simmons talk. You know, it's a fascinating subject, but we got some transactions to catch up on. So Dylan, I'll let you choose. I think there's two big stories 
out of the last month that we missed. We can either start with the Nets or we can start with the Grizzlies. Which one would you like to start with? I say the Nets. I thought you would go there. I was hoping you'd say the Grizzlies, but that's okay. We'll go with them next. So they really, they signed two free agents in Paul Millsap and LaMarcus Aldridge. LaMarcus Aldridge got cleared to play basketball. Shout out to him. He was good for them when he was healthy last year. So I hope nothing bad happens to LaMarcus. Um, they signed Paul Millsap. And they traded DeAndre Jordan and four second rounders in cash to Detroit for Sekou Dimboya and Jaleel Okafor. Um, I think that this is a, this has been a real interesting offseason for Brooklyn. Dylan, I just feel like the Nets right now are by far and away. Like with Millsap, and obviously I don't think Aldridge moves the needle that much, but Millsap is huge. Like he's going to play 20 minutes for them and be good for them. And then obviously they're going to take a chance on Seku. I, I think Jaleel Okafor will be cut. But I think they're in a real interesting spot right now. And I think that I think that they're far and away the best team in the league right now. What do you think? You know, last season, I I think we may have talked about this, that most good teams don't have that kind of depth. And I think they got a little bit lucky that both LaMarcus and Blake Griffin got bought out, and they already had a pretty good roster beforehand. Like, they didn't really have to give up anything to get Kyrie and KD. I think that was the biggest thing because a lot of these teams are built off of trades, right? And those two guys, I mean, they traded D'Angelo Russell for KD. Like that wasn't some huge loss, especially when you're signing, you know, Kyrie and Spencer didn't even play last year, but they had Joe Harris. They had a bunch of good centers, really like Nick Claxton got a role at the end they had Jeff Green. They had Jared Allen, who obviously they traded for James Harden. And that was another thing is I don't think they gave up a ton for James Harden, like in players at least. Obviously, the draft capital is one thing. But Karis LeVert, who was very good, um, and thank God he got traded for his own health sake. Jared Allen, I was worried about that one, but they ended up making it work. And Bruce Brown, like they had great depth. And then they continued to add guys. This summer, you know, they lost Jeff Green, which was tough. But Patty Mills, are you kidding me? Like, if a team like that can add Patty Mills, you're in a damn good spot. And adding Paul Millsap, I mean, man. LaMarcus Aldridge is, is interesting to me because I, I talked about this last year, man. He was horrible on defense with San Antonio. I think he was pretty damn good as a defensive center. I never thought I would say that in 2021. That dude was holding his own at the rim. And it still probably was the worst case scenario that he was starting at center. But with as many points as they could put up, I mean, he was doing his job. Like, he was way better than DeAndre Jordan. Way better. DeAndre Jordan was one of the worst centers I've ever seen on defense last year. Just horrendous. And Alder held his own, so he's back, and maybe they'll put him into that role. We'll see. But they're stacked, man. And Sekou Demboy, that's the fascinating one. And the Pistons, they're, lo- they're, they're kind of losing me. I don't know. I get that it was a different administration's pick, but four seconds for a guy that they basically didn't even get a, give a chance to, I don't know. I mean – 
he it's not like he's shown some amazing potential, but he's young as hell and he can handle the ball like he can shoot a little bit. I, I think him coming off screens with some of the passing they have there. I don't know. I think he's going to be useful for them. And with as much depth as they have, maybe he won't even play. But if he does, I mean, he's going to be great depth. He's going to get some really important G League minutes. I'll say that. Like, he is. He and Cam Thomas and Daron Sharp, they have so many players on their roster right now. Like, I don't know how they're going to go into the roster holding this many guys because they only have one two-way guy in their second-round draft pick, Kessler Edwards. Like, I don't know who's going to be not playing. But the, I think the Nets are far and away the best team right now. You brought up Patty, and I think we talked about him on the last pod, but it just can't be overstated that he is fucking incredible, <laughs> like, as a backup guard. And on this team, can you imagine what kind of look James Harden is going to get him? Like, he's, I'm going to imagine he's going to play with Harden a lot, right? And then Joe Harris, James Johnson is James Johnson is on this team, and he is not going to see the floor. Like, that's how confident I am. Nick Claxton is going to play more next year. Like, I think that Bruce Brown, like, they just have so many options, and they kind of need it, you know, with how often that Katie and Kyrie and James got hurt last year. I don't think James Harden is going to miss 20. He's going to miss 30 games again. That's not like him. He has been pretty durable through his whole career. I don't think he'd ever miss more than 10 games in a season before last year. Yeah. Cause the most he'd missed was like 10 one year. So he's pretty durable with all, like, especially with all the damage he takes, but I think he'll bounce back next year. Um, If you can get, you know, 58 to 65 games out of Kyrie and KD. That's a relative win. I could legitimately see, even if Harden's like the one playing all the games and the other two miss a good amount, I could see this team winning 65 games. Just they're so deep. And Seku's probably not going to even see the floor, but if they can turn him into something as a bridge player, because these guys are going to get grow old, right? And Seku was in the 2019 draft. So he's got two more years. He's got both of the option years left this year and next year. So if they can turn him into a bridge player and get something out of him, like, I, I think that they're in a really good spot right now. And not just like in terms of the present, but also the future. Like, I think that it's in a really weird spot for a contending team to be in, but they're hitting all the moves around the margins. Like no team has ever hit all the moves around the margins. Like the heat missed on some when they had LeBron, you know, the warriors obviously missed on a lot after <laughs> I think after Schlenk left, I don't think that was really a coincidence. Um, and obviously Iggy and Livingston got old it's hard, but the way that they're doing it now, I think that I trust them to keep up this success for as long as Harden and Durant and Kyrie want to keep doing this. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about state-of-the-art organization. Like, Sean Marks has built this team from basically the ground up. I mean, he inherited a bad a bad situation, man. Shout out to Billy King. Yeah. I mean, talk about an inheritance, man. That's like that's like being born to your parents like they're they have like a million dollars in debt that you have to pay off now. Like that's that's what Sean Marks inherited. And he man, he started uh, getting to work, started investing those paychecks, baby. And he got that debt paid off like he he has done a great job of not only attracting the superstars, but like you said, the fringe work like. 
turning Musa into Bruce Brown is something that, you know, the only people that are going to care about that is us. But this is this is how you win championships. Like, a lot of these championship teams, you know, we want to talk about Cleveland. We want to talk about Golden State, Toronto. All of those teams, yes, they had great they had great luck, they had great health, they had great players, but there's always like a seventh or eighth man that came through right when they needed it, and he hit two big shots or he made one really good steal. That stuff is what you need, and those players, like I, a Bruce Brown, I, I know that I probably overhype him, but that dude fills a role. That's what you need. You need a guy that can fill a role. And yeah, he may finish the season averaging six points a game, but he plays his role perfectly. And you keep getting guys like that. If they do it with Demboya, then I'm imagining Pistons fans are really going to start hating the Nets because there's some robbery going on here. And hell, they may sign uh, Hamidou Diallo next summer too. We'll have to watch for that one. But or Josh Jackson, you know, there there's some major watch. I think the Pistons have to keep their guards up here. But I mean, just doing a great job. And I thought Steve Nash was phenomenal last year. I'm not I'm not great at evaluating coaching, but I mean, I think just the, there was a handful of things he did throughout the season. One of them was turning Bruce Brown into a useful player, despite him not being able to shoot. I think he did a great job defining that role for Brown. I think benching DeAndre Jordan for uh, Jarrett Allen, despite the politics, was a great move. And just a lot of the uh, the floor balancing he did, like there's a lot of good things that he did in his first year as a coach. And yes, it's a lot easier when you have three Hall of Famers on the roster, but it, it was those other guys that I think he he brought up. And I mean, it's really hard to be down on the nets. It really is. I, I think they've done everything right to this point. I would say Nash's only sin was not trusting, you know, his team in the playoffs, right? And when I say his team, you brought up the guys that, you know, make, step up and make those contributions. We just talked about that, that whole finals with Pat Connaughton. Like, that just happened, like, a month and a half ago. Like, Pat Connaughton was fucking stepping up. He was playing great defense. He made his shots. And, you know, he's probably going to get paid next summer. So, just going through the minutes totals for the – for the Nets in game seven. So Harden and Harden, who was, you know, very clearly hurt, <laughs> played all 53 minutes as well as Katie. Bruce Brown played 52 minutes. Joe Harris played 47 minutes and Blake played 40 minutes. And he fouled out. So Blake would have probably played more. Jeff Green only played 13 minutes. And I think that if I had one criticism of Nash is just like, you got to trust your guys more, you know, and you know what? Looking at the rest of this roster, there weren't many guys I would trust. <laughs> but I would have trusted Jeff Green more. Like, Jeff Green has done great. He's done great on D'Antoni teams. And I know that last year wasn't a D'Antoni team, but D'Antoni was on the coaching staff. So, I don't know. I would have played Jeff Green more. But you're not going to have that problem next year because you're going to have Blake. You're going to have Paul Millsap. Even if, like, one of those guys gets hurt, <laughs> James Johnson, Right having James Johnson as a guy that's not going to play is a fucking luxury, right? And I know I've shit talked James Johnson a lot on this podcast, but on the minimum coming off the bench, that's the perfect place for him. You know, just a stay ready guy. He's going to stay ready. He's going to get in the game. And I think that 
my the Nets are my favorites to win the championship next year. I think whoever comes out of the East between Milwaukee and Brooklyn is winning the East is winning the finals next year. I don't think that. I don't think the Lakers are good enough, frankly. Speaking of DeAndre Jordan, he went to the Lakers, which of course, <laughs> of course he goes to the Lakers, but, and Rondo went to the Lakers. We'll talk about Rondo later, but God, I just, I don't see any way this team doesn't win the championship. Like they, they got so much better. This is like the heat in 2013, adding Ray Allen and Shane Battier on steroids. Like, this team is – if they played the Miami Heat in a seven-game series, it would be a four-game sweep. Like, I don't think that it's really close. Like, the best Heat team, the 66-win team, I think this team blows them the fuck out because there's just so – they're so much deeper and so much more – like, they're going to outscore you with impunity. Like, this team is going to score probably 120 points a game next year. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Last year was probably the worst case scenario for Brooklyn. I think that's the scary part was, okay, Kyrie gets hurt. Sure. KD gets hurt. Sure. We expected that coming off the injury. Harden was hurt way too much. (laughs) Harden, as you talked about, and maybe it's just time kind of paying him back as we're seeing with LeBron right now too. But that Boston series, 55-46-91. That was James Harden. I, I, I was tweeting throughout that series. This dude, let's see, one of the games, he scored 41 points on 18 shots. That is just insane. Like, this is what this team can be when, it's, when they're healthy. And I, and I don't even think Kyrie was playing in that series. I don't remember. They were so all over the place. But either way, even if you just have two of them out there at once, I mean, they are – insanely good together and when they made the Harden trade a lot of us on this network kind of had our concerns about defense about sharing the ball they made it work man they didn't play a lot together but they were phenomenal together they all shared the ball perfectly they like I mean Harden and KD have chemistry and Kyrie and KD have chemistry but them three together picking it up so quickly was really like beautiful as a basketball fan to watch I mean it worked perfectly. And it was basically KD that last series. Harden shot 24%. So he followed up that amazing first round with a terrible second round because of injuries. And, you know, it was four games or it was seven games. I mean, they, they almost beat the team that won the finals. Harden played just four, four of those games. It, it was KD doing almost all the heavy lifting. So now they have a better bench. It's hard to imagine they have worse health luck than they had last year. How could they not go to the finals? I mean, you have to have either the Bucks somehow take a step up, which I'd be surprised. I think this season was probably the top end of the Bucks. I mean, Drew Holiday can obviously be better. Middleton was phenomenal. Giannis was phenomenal. And, you know, maybe I guess their their depth is a bit better now, but I have a hard time seeing them improve very much. I don't think the Heat are on their level. I just – they would have to have one – they would really have to have two of those guys, I think, get, go down for them to not at least make the finals. I mean, I think they're that much better than everyone else. Yeah, but, I mean, the only quibble I would have with that is that Dante DiVincenzo missed – 
the Nets series, and he's really like he was such an important part of their team. And I think that if he's healthy, then I think that he's going to make a difference for them next year. And I think, you know, they added Grayson Allen. They're going to have more shooting, which is what Bud wants. Bud loves nothing more than a five-out system. But, I mean, I thought Brooke Lopez, that's probably the best you're going to get out of Brooke Lopez this year. It's probably, I mean, P.J. Tucker was a dog. The only series he was useful in was the was the Brooklyn series, and that was pretty much it. But, I mean, he was great in the Brooklyn series, but KD still averaged, like, 40 points a game. So, I mean, yeah, if they have two of those guys healthy, they're going to steam through the league because there's just there's no one better than them like for a top 100 i don't know where you have these guys i have all three of their stars in the top 15 like it's pretty pretty good like they're they're just in a phenomenal spot right now and they're gonna be really fun to watch because it's good they're gonna load manage i would think i think that probably all of them will miss at least at minimum 15 games if I had to guess, maybe not Harden. Maybe Harden will miss like closer to ten or nine or ten. But they still have some good lineup combinations, and I think they'll win. Like I said, I don't think sixty-five is off the table for them at all. I really don't. I mean, think about this: if you have a team that has Patty Mills, James Harden, and KD, or Patty Mills, Kyrie Irving, and KD, you're pretty happy. Like that's a finals team. And that's taking one of those guys out. So if you have either of those guys fall, you can easily slide Patty Mills in. I really think you could slide Bruce Brown in and and be fine. Cause he played with those guys a lot. He was he was starting at guard a lot and he was he was playing pretty damn well during the regular season. So I think the the only true downfall for them would be if KD got hurt. You can't replace KD. And I'm not saying you can replace Kyrie or Harden either, but you can replace them easier, especially with the guys they have on their roster. KD, you're not replacing. So unless he gets hurt, I think – I'm not going to say it's a cakewalk because I do agree. I, I forgot DiVincenzo about that, and the Grayson Allen addition was very good. But, yeah, Brooke Lopez was phenomenal. Whether the stats show it or not, again, he was huge when it really mattered. And Pat Connaughton in the finals, maybe he can do that again. I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. The Bucs hope they don't have to see it again, but uh, you never know. But, yeah, DiVincenzo is going to be nice to come back. But I'd still give the Nets a lead over them by not a huge margin, but definitely more than it was last season. I think if they play in a series, it'll go six. And if it goes six, that means the Nets win. If it goes seven, that means the Bucks have a chance. So I don't think, I think the Nets, I think the Bucks are the, okay, let's do this analogy. The Nets are to the Warriors as the Rockets are to the Bucks. I said that in the wrong order, but you get what I'm saying. Basically, and it's funny that um, James Harden is now on the on the Warriors side, but I think that it's like they're going to be a thorn in their side. I think the finals, the real finals, will be in the Eastern Conference Finals or the semifinals if they play each other. Then, like I think that that's going to be the best series in the playoffs again. I thought that it was the best series in the playoffs this year, and I think that you know both of these teams are going to be and George Hill. I forgot about George Hill. Like, he's going to be not playing Jeff Teague (laughs) is huge addition by subtraction. Huge. Like, 
no matter how you felt about George Hill last year, at least he's not Jeff T. So I think those two teams are the best two teams in the league. I don't really think it's close. Um, anything else to say on Brooklyn before we move on to our beloved Grizzlies? No, sir. The Grizzlies have been, I think it's safe to say, the busiest team since we last convened. Um, you know, when we first, when we last did the podcast, I don't think they made any moves. And then, or other than the Valentinus trade, then they shipped Bledsoe, Eric Bledsoe to the Clippers for Patrick Beverly and Rajon Rondo. They sent Beverly to Minnesota for Jarrett Culver and Juancho Hernan Gomez. Then they shipped, they bought out Rondo. Then they shipped out Hernan Gomez to Boston for Purdue for Purdue alum Carson Edwards and Chris Dunn. So I don't know how I'm feeling about the Grizzlies after these moves. I feel like they're all kind of lateral moves. You know, like I don't feel like they got particularly better in one way or another. The, the one that intrigues me is the Jarrett Culver one. And I think you like that one too. How do you like them taking a shot on Jer- a guy like Jarrett Culver who did not work at all in Minnesota? I think that was mostly due to Minnesota's incompetence, but how do you feel about them taking a shot on Jarrett Culver? Yeah, I I don't want to give up on Culver yet. I thought he was I don't remember where I had him ranked in my big board that year, but he was he was one of my favorite players that year. And Minnesota just did not have the proper development. I mean, they tried to use him as a point guard year one, which went horribly, as it should have. And last year he barely played. So or he did he I don't even know if he played at all. He barely played. Um so we don't really know what the hell he is at this point. And picks, first round picks that two years in, we don't know what they are. Just they automatically lose value. So it's a great second draft guy. I mean, he's going to have a small role with the Grizzlies, but I think that's good for him. I think just being able to kind of work himself into a role and seeing what he is, is it's a very easy buy low for the Grizzlies and you know they get out they get out from under Eric Bledsoe which I actually think Eric Bledsoe would have been fine as their backup point guard because as much as I hate Eric Bledsoe as a backup point guard he would have been fine I mean he can just hold the ball all game it doesn't matter like backup point guards don't really do do much for the needle moving so I I was fine with that I was comfortable with that as a Grizzlies fan um so that was fine. But they end up flipping him for Beverly and Rondo. Rondo, you know, bye-bye to him. He's going to go He's gonna go be comfortable in L.A. with the Lakers. He just has to live in L.A. and play with superstars and never win anything. I'm sorry, he won two years ago. But um, <laughs> he, you know, he can go play with LeBron. Beverly, I'm just over him at this point. So, you know, flipping him for – Two kind of buy low guys was a good move. Getting rid of Wancho, I understand it. They don't need another forward, but I don't think getting Edwards or Dunn really does anything for you. And I think they may have got some picks out of that too. But, you know, buying low on Culver, I think, is ultimately what what is the takeaway. And it was great. And I will say after Summer League that Zaire Williams is good. He's going to be good. And that was that was involved in the original trade. With Valanciunas, they move up to 10. And, man, that dude can pass. Like, he is a very good ball handler. He's got really good vision, and he can shoot. I mean, having him as the backup four, 
I think he's going to do work, man. I think he's going to be really good. So, you know, there's ultimately that's what this whole offseason has stemmed from that one trade. They just kept breaking the guys down into smaller pieces, basically. Um, so if he, coming out of the summer, turning Valanciunas into Zaire Williams and Culver, if that's what it ends up being, and Steven Adams, I mean, I think that's a win. Yeah, I mean, look at what they did with Josh Jackson two years ago. Josh Jackson's career was in the toilet, right? He complete. I mean, Ryan McDonough, shout out to him. He had a... He was so good at being a GM that right now he's a member of the media. So shout out to him. Um, I mean, he just terrible draft pick after terrible draft pick. I mean, drafting the run from like, he had Booker, right? He hit on Booker in 2015, but Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris, and Josh Jackson in back-to-back drafts, um, not great. Not great at all. So, but the Grizzlies rehabilitated Jackson's value. And now he's a, like, you know, he's a role player in Detroit. And I think he's going to be a good player for years to come. And I think that they could do that for Culver, right? They have to give him the right role. I watched a lot of those Minnesota games where they ran him as a point guard in 2019, 20, my coverage around the league in 2019, 20 wasn't the best. I wasn't watching all the teams equally, but I watched a lot of Minnesota for some reason. And let me tell you, Jared Culver is definitely not a point guard. Those lineups were awful. Just really bad stuff from Minnesota. And it sucks because there's something there. What's there? I don't know. But if he can beat what? Okay. So coming into the draft, I wasn't really paying attention to the draft. What did Culver profile as? Was he like a wing shot creator? Was he just like, you know, someone who could like a secondary shot creator? What did he profile as to you coming into the draft? Do you remember? Yeah, I would say ideally he was a secondary creator because in the final game, who did they play that year? Was it North Carolina? I think it was. I thought they made it to the championship game with him. Yeah, but who did it? Was it not North Carolina they played? I don't remember. I, it was it Auburn, was, was it? No, it wasn't Auburn. They, I think they lost to the team that they played. Either way, um, they shut him down. Like he was, he was kind of, they forced him into the main role and he did not have a very good game. So I, I think. Secondary creator was ultimately where he belonged. And yeah, Minnesota, they forced him into that primary spot and it did not go well. I just, I think that if he can be a secondary creator here in Memphis, you know, you play him alongside D'Anthony Melton or something, or you have Tyus Jones setting him up, I think it could work. You know, they just need more scoring in general. So if they can get something out of him, like anything, they might, you know, be in the top they might be in the top like six of the playoffs next year. You never know. So I I think that Memphis is a candidate for like a small regression, but Hey, if Culver hits, you know, that's going to be good. I don't think I would have gotten rid of Hernan Gomez though. You know, I'm a very big Wancho fan. Shout out to Wancho. Shout out to Caleb Lynn again. Um, Wancho is his favorite player. Um, I wouldn't have gotten rid of Wancho. And the reason why is just because he's a, Six nine wing who can defend and shoot, and those guys don't grow on trees. And that's the reason I don't think Wancho's all that great, but I think I'd rather have Wancho than a lot of other like guys in his tier of NBA player, if that makes sense, <laughs> because he can defend and he can make threes. And 
you know, if you don't have plans on necessarily making the playoffs next year, then I understand it. But Boston, I think, is going to make really good use of Wancho. Like, I think he's going to be really good there. And Chris Dunn, is Chris Dunn going to see the floor for the Grizzlies? I don't think he is. And listen, I'm going to phrase this lightly because he's your guy. I, I, I just don't think Carson Edwards is going to – I don't think he's going to be anything more than like a third string point guard in the league. And, you know, I think I'd rather have Wancho. And you brought up the picks. I think it was a pick swap, a second round pick swap. So it really, the picks didn't really amount to much anyway. So I just, I think that in that transaction, I would have rather had Wancho. I don't know. I don't know why the Wolves, oh, I know why the Wolves gave up on him. It was reported by John Krasinski that uh, they didn't let him play for the national team when he wanted to play for the national team. So that's why Minnesota traded him because he was unhappy there. But I, I don't. I don't like Memphis trading Wancho. I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I know I'm probably overvaluing him a little bit, but he's 6'9". <laughs> How many 6'9 wings are there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I still think it may have just been that they felt okay with that position maybe. But, I mean, they they got really good wings right now, man. Like, you've got Brooks, Anderson, Bain. I mean – and then they got Zaire Williams now, and Brandon Clark is a little bit bigger, but maybe they just felt okay with that spot. And and it's it's kind of another second draft situation where you hope Edwards can rekindle the 2019 flame that he had um, in the NCAA tournament. And I, I will say that I I hated Carson Edwards for the first two years of his career at Purdue. I will say that. So he was very hot and cold. His shot selection was mostly terrible. And I don't think his shot selection in that final year was that great either. He was just making the shots. So the magic was there for that tournament run. But if you if you look at that tournament, I think it was the first game or maybe the second game, he was horrible. Like that was that was the Carson Edwards experience was really good and really bad. So the fact that he hasn't really done anything in the NBA to this point, I 100% understand. And if he never pans out, I get it. But I also could see him catching that flame again and in small doses at most probably. But it's I think it's worth a shot. If they feel that comfortable at the wing 3-4 position, then, you know, it's worth a shot, even though they already have a bunch of guards. I So I'm looking at Carson Edwards college stats on basketball reference. Basketball reference is the superior reference site. Like, I don't know. The other sites just aren't as good. He was a career 41% shooter from the field in college. Like he's not going to be an impactful NBA player. You know, it sucks, you know, cause he, he was fun in college. That elite eight, the game he had against Virginia was one of the best college games I remember watching, but on TV, um, that being said, I just I don't think he's gonna be a player and I that'll stick. And I don't think Chris Dunn is gonna stick either. Like in Memphis. I think that I like there you brought up Ben Simmons. <laughs> Chris Dunn is the same conundrum, but like 75,000 times worse. Like he's just on offense, it's not it's the juice isn't worth the squeeze, as they say. Like if his defense was like a little better, he'd probably be like in a Tony Allen kind of role. You know, it's funny that he ended up in Memphis and I say that, but I, I just don't, the juice really isn't worth the squeeze on Chris Dunn. I don't think he's, I just don't think he's that good personally. 
I don't know. Call me crazy. I don't know. Anything else you want to say on the Grizzlies moves before we, I think we can rapid fire. Oh no, we got to talk about the three-way trade. Anything else on the Grizzlies before we move on? Go Grizz. That's all I got to say. Go Grizz. Hopefully they make the play in. So we got to talk about the, where Lowry marketing ended up after a while, he was by far the best free agent on the market. And he ended up in Cleveland and on a four year, $67 million contract. The last year is like partially guaranteed. So shout out to the Cavs for that. Um, they they got Larry Marketing from the Bulls and they sent a second round pick to Chicago and Larry Nance to Portland. Um, the Blazers sent Derek Jones and a first to Chicago and the Bulls obviously sent Marketing to Cleveland. So Dylan, I think it's safe to say the Blazers won this trade and it's not really close. How do you think the Larry Nance move, like, do you think it, it impacts where they'll end up in the standings next year for the Blazers. It might. I mean, he's kind of been held back on every single team he's been on to this point. And Portland, I feel like maybe the first chance he can finally be unleashed. I mean, he should never be like a main player, but I mean, the Lakers, like he got, I think he's probably, he probably got more run with the Lakers than Cleveland. And I mean, he was impactful. Like they weren't a playoff team, but he was, he kind of showed a lot on both ends and Cleveland. It was just always a log jam. And of course it's still a log jam at that position, but it, it just never really worked out. And I think this is a good spot for him. He's kind of exactly what they need. Like they've needed this kind of player for years like an athletic defender that can, you know, cut and shoot a little bit. Like they've needed that. We've talked about Aaron Gordon for years, you know, that kind of player going there. So I think it was a great move for them. Derek Jones Jr., like whatever. You know, I think it was a good signing for them last year, but he didn't really do a ton. And I, they traded a first out too, and I'm sure there's protections on that. But, you know, I will say – because we talked about Neil O'Shea earlier. I think he's a great trader. I really do. I think, first of all, he's willing to make trades literally every year, which I think is very positive. Someone that's willing to make take risks. It seems like their roster is full of a bunch of low-risk players, but I think that's just him being smart. You know, When you trade for Yusuf Nurkic, it's because he's going to be a starter. When you trade for Robert Covington, it's because he's going to be a starter. When you trade for Norm Powell, it's because he's going to be a starter. And you trade for Larry Nance because he's going to be a star. Like he's willing to get rid of draft capital to go get guys that are going to start. And that makes his job a lot easier because he doesn't have to draft anymore because he sucks at drafting. That is one thing he sucks at. So he's like, hey, if I'm so terrible at drafting, why don't I just get rid of these picks and get players that I don't have to ask if they're good? I already know that they are. So I think I think it was a good move. I mean, I the one kind of problem with the Blazers is that they get better every year, but they're still nowhere near better than anyone else. That's that's kind of been the Blazers conundrum for basically the entire Dame era where they get better every year for the most part, but they don't get better enough where they're really making big moves in the standings. So I think it was a solid move, another low-risk move for them, uh, potentially high reward, but, you know, it, again, it's probably not going to make a huge difference, but it makes them better. 
It makes them better. I think it raises their floor. It doesn't raise their playoff ceiling because Larry Nance just isn't a playoff guy. And CJ had a rough, rough playoffs last year. He had a really good one in 2020, but just I think the CJ ship has sailed. I think he needs to get out of Portland. Personally, I think I'd rather have Norm. I mean, to not beat the Nuggets when they're starting, you know, Compazzo and they're starting Compazzo and Austin Rivers, that's rough, right? And I think that they're still like, I'd rather have obviously the Lakers than them. I'd rather have the Suns than them. I'd rather have the Jazz than them. And I'd rather have the injured, the injured Clippers and Nuggets over them. And I'd rather have the Dallas over them. So where I have them is the playing. And Dame is better than, he should be better than fighting for a playing spot. Like he deserves better than that. And I obviously, you know, we kind of think he's going to get traded. I don't know exactly when he'll demand the trade, but I feel like it's going to come within maybe the next year. I don't know. I think that the Blazers are kind of just, they're stuck in this weird purgatory state of mediocrity just because, I mean, like, what can you really upgrade from CJ? You know, it's a, it's a good question. And you're right. They have nailed all the moves around the margins when it comes to trades. I can't dispute that. They, he's the old show. Uh, old Shea has been really good when it comes to trades. I just think that, you know, this team is probably going to win 45 to 48 games and go out in the first round. I think that's their ceiling. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of Dane's issue is that that's what they are every year. And they had that one Western conference finals run and they're probably never going to get back to that point because there's a lot of luck involved, you know, a lot of good breaks and the Blazers seem to now get the opposite end of those breaks where they get, you know, players hurt. So we'll see. I mean, it's, I definitely don't think that they're top four material and I definitely don't think they're, going to make it past the second round and they very well could lose in the first round again so it's it doesn't really change much but you know again it's it's a small improvement and I guess that's all that Olshay's after I guess so let's move to the Cleveland aspect of this I don't we don't have to talk much about the Bulls good for them for getting a first round pick for Lowry marketing um the Cavs aspect of this is weird (laughs) so right now you know, I'm not a big fan of the looking at contracts thing. But between Love or between Allen and Marketing, they paid 167 to big guys this summer. That's not even factoring in what they're paying to Kevin. Love. I think they're paying 60 million for Kevin Love the next two years. And their top three pick was a big guy. I mean, the appeal of Marketing is that he can play with both Allen and Mobley, you would think. But Marketing's had a weird career. I just don't think there's much worth salvaging here for the Cavs. What do you think? I just don't know what, like, is he going to be the backup center? I think that probably makes the most sense unless you want Mobley to start with that role. But like Kevin Love just has to stay there. I I, I don't think there's any way out. He doesn't want to give up money. He's won titles. Like he's, he doesn't need to win. He wants to make his money. And he's never been a guy that has really seemingly been willing to give up money in the past. And I mean, I'm never going to blame someone for wanting to make as much money as you can when you got a relatively small window in this league. So I get, and the Cavs can't find a trade suitor. So 
I don't, I don't think they ever will. I mean, he's an aging big man that can't defend. Like there's no, I'm sure there are teams out there that maybe would trade for him, but it's, it's going to be tough. And you're probably gonna have to take a terrible contract back that may not even help you. Like at least Kevin Love can play a little bit. So, I mean, you're either going to start Love at, at power forward or you're going to start Mobley and you just paid 16 million for a guy that's going to come off the bench. I mean, 16 million is not terrible in today's NBA economy. Like there's definitely guys coming off the bench to make that much money or even more, but I don't know. I mean, I, I like the idea of marketing. I think he started his career off much better than he's at now. So maybe you try to get some of that back. He does have much better shot creators, I would say, than he's had in Chicago outside of Levine. So we'll see. I mean, it, it could it could work out. Um, I think him coming off the bench, he's going to look much better for sure. But he's got holes in his game, and he's going to have to really get hot from three to pay off that salary cap number. I mean, 15-7 and seven for his career on 44-36-84 splits. I mean, if he can do, you know, like 14-7 and seven on like 40 – he shot 40% from three last year. If he can do that and allow Mobley to play some center and allow Allen to play, you know, space five role, I think it might work. <laughs> I just wouldn't bank on it, though. And who's going to want to trade for Lowry Markkinen in two years if he sucks? You know what I mean? Like, that's the – you have to think about, like, who's – obviously, in the fourth year, it's partially guaranteed. So, you know, if it doesn't work out after three years – but then you just wasted three years of a roster spot that you could have used for somebody else. I I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, it is – you know, the Cavs just signed him. And, I mean, hey, at least he's going to play somewhere next year. He's he was too good not to be on an NBA team next year, but I don't get it. Um, maybe if they turn him into Bertans, that would be the only way I would get it. He'd be making about what Bertans is, like a little less than Bertans, from my from what I remember. So if he could be Davis Bertans, then you know what this might be worth it for them. But I just I don't think I'd want to pay 23 year old Davis Bertans. You know what I mean? I, I think that there's better ways, especially when you're trying to, especially when you're not going anywhere. I don't I don't get it for the Cavs. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think Bertans is worth anything on a team that sucks. Right. I think if if he's on the Sixers, then that's fucking awesome. But if he's on the Cavaliers, who very well could be the worst team in the East then I don't think there's really any value there. And I don't know if you can really make a trade work. I mean, I'm sure someone would take him, but trading $16 million guys isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do, especially for teams that most likely have a pretty full salary cap. So, and again, what are you going to get back at that point? A late first and maybe some third string small forward, you know, like it's, it is what it is, but I will say that I don't think the Cavs are as far away as we might think. Where, where Colin Sexton ends up is interesting because seems like they don't want to pay him, um, which is kind of odd to me. Like, if I'm a Knicks fan, give me that dude for first next year, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Like they've they've added a million point guards at this point, but a team like that uh, or Minnesota, you know, I think doesn't Minnesota have Ricky Rubio and like no one? Or they trade a Rubio? Who they the trade hell a Rubio? Point guard is it D'Angelo Russell now? No, it's Beverly. Oh, that's yeah. Okay, exactly. Like a team like Minnesota should trade for Colin Sexton if he's available. You know, like there's. If Cleveland doesn't want to pay him, one of these other stupid teams is going to do it. And I'm not saying they're stupid because they would trade for sex. I'm saying they're stupid because they suck. But <laughs> not that the Knicks suck, but they generally suck, but not now. Um, but if they're stupid enough to just trade him, I don't know. And maybe they – I'm sure they know more than me about sex. And, but what's on the floor looks pretty good to me. So – I don't know, but I don't, I don't think they're so far because, I mean, I think Mobley's going to be really good. Okoro, you could probably do better, but he's probably going to blossom into a decent player at the three. And Al, I love Jared Allen, so I don't think they're so far away. I think that they could maybe push the play in this year if everything goes right. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. And you didn't bring on my boy Darius Garland. Darius Garland. I mean, Garland. Garland at this point might be – is he the best prospect on the team? I don't I know. Would say, I would say Mobley is, but I would say Garland, in terms of like actual guys who have played in the NBA, he is by far the best out of their prospects on the team. Like 17-6 and six last year on 45-40 and 85 shooting splits. Like that's pretty good for a second-year guard. I think that he can get a lot better. The pull-up shooting is intriguing with Garland, and he's a lot better passer than Sexton is. <laughs> when I say a lot, I mean a lot. <laughs> so I think Garland, like Garland is the future to me. Like I think Garland and Mobley are the two future guys that I would bank the most on their success. But yeah, I I totally agree with you. I think there's a world they could compete for the play-in. They just need to stay completely healthy because this team has no depth at all. Like, like Rubio is a good backup, I'll say. They improved on the backup point guard spot, but they lost Torian Prince, who we both agreed was good for them last year. And I mean, who's on their bench that's a small forward? I don't even know. Chetty Osman, I guess. Yeah, and Chetty Osman really felt... They still have Dean Wade on this team. Yeah. Um, I actually like Dean Wade. Oh, Dylan Windler, who yeah. I like. But he's not going to be like, you know good next year you know what i mean he's still oh holy shit he's gonna be he just turned he's gonna turn 25 in two weeks never mind <laughs> dylan winter probably is what he is at this point but i don't know i think that they can contend for the play-in it's just it's gonna be they're gonna need a lot of luck i'd say ahead of them like i think they're gonna need probably two or three teams like charlotte has to have the absolute worst case scenario season washington like dinwiddie and brad would have to get hurt for them, I'd say to contend for the play-in, but there's always a shot. Um, anything else to say on the Cavs before we move on? I think we got to talk about one more move. We can talk about it quickly, but I think one more move, and then we can like kind of rapid fire through the rest of them. Well, I'll just say real quick that I I never understood the Prince for Rubio trade. I I thought Prince, as much as I bashed him with the Nets, man, like he must have had a flip of, of the switch because. He was playing way different. Like I think with Brooklyn, he was he was selfish. He was throwing up stupid shots and not passing, and it was so frustrating to watch. 
But with Cleveland, man, he was passing the ball really well. He was hitting the shots he was supposed to hit. Like, he was taking good shots, good on defense. I think he was really solid for them, and he was probably better than Okoro would have been this year. So, I don't I don't know if backup point guard is a big enough need for them where they needed to make that deal, but it is what it is. The alternative was playing Damian Dotson, Done. <laughs> I mean... Who cares about backup point guard when you suck? That's that's what I have to say. <laughs> Touche. So let's move on. I think this is the last big one. We talked about the Celtics with Wancho, but Dennis Schroeder um, signed like pretty much a couple days after the last episode, and he signed to a one-year mid-level contract. We've talked about how bad he was in the playoffs, but I think he's still a good point guard, and I think the way the Celtics have built their roster – you know, Horford and Richardson and Schroeder, guys who were doubted. I think that the way that they'll bounce back this year, I wouldn't be shocked. If, like I brought up the top five earlier. I wouldn't be shocked if they break into that top five. I think Boston, I think Schroeder's a really good pickup for them. I think that Richardson was a good pickup for them. And I think Horford was a good pickup for them. How do you like Boston's offseason, basically? Yeah, I think they kind of sat on their hands and they waited. And man, Schroeder really screwed himself by turning down that Lakers extension because this was a pretty flooded point guard market and deals kept coming and Schroeder kept losing money every time someone signed. And Boston got really lucky that he, that they waited because I mean, I think they got a major discount on Schroeder and, you know, granted it was just for one year, but the Schroeder, for two years with Oklahoma City and the Lakers was pretty damn good. He wasn't good last year, but, I mean, he's a good shooter, off-ball and on-ball, good defender. Like, he's he doesn't have to do a ton for the Celtics. And he could very easily surpass what Kemba's been doing the past year and a half because even when the Celtics made that run in 2019, he – he was horrible in the final and the Eastern conference finals. Like he just could not hit shots and he wasn't very good last year. And he's going to be an immediate defensive upgrade and probably going to end up being better on offense too. So they made a, they made an upgrade at point guard and they only saved themselves what 25 mil in the process. And, you know, they already got Horford back Richardson was a good buy low candidate. I don't remember what they traded for him, but I mean, he was terrible with Dallas last year. Like I know that I love that deal for them where they traded Seth Curry. And I think you did too, did not pan out at all. And I think it was just a fit problem. I think that Curry was, I, I really think that Tim Hardaway being so good kind of made Richardson not necessary. That's really what it came down to. The year before, I think they needed more of a ball handler, but Brunson was really good. They just they needed Seth Curry, and it just didn't work out. But I think he could be pretty good for the Boston coming off the bench, just doing his thing. And, I mean, they had a major depth problem last year, and they've kind of filled a lot of those cracks. Yeah, they did. Um, if Richardson is allowed like a proper backup point guard role, I think that he'll be better. I thought Horford was good in like the 20 games they let him play before they sent him home because they were he was too good. Him and Shea were too good. I'm I'm shocked to tell you, Dylan Hughes. I'm shocked that Al Horford was actually good when he was playing center. I can't believe it. Who could have seen that coming? 
And then I think Schroeder. So, you know, doing research for the top 100, Dennis Schroeder, despite the misgivings last year, is still in my top 100. And when Anthony Davis and LeBron were out last year for the Lakers, he averaged 17 and eight. Like, he was still, he, he was the one keeping the ship afloat. Like, was it Caruso? No. Was it, like, that team did not have a whole lot of offensive talent outside of him and Harrell. And obviously, Harrell, you know, in the playoffs was a complete bomb. But him and Schroeder were the two things keeping them afloat on offense while they had a really good defensive rating the whole season. So I think that Schroeder, he's going to work well in the Celtics. Um, if he can accept, like, you know, the tertiary role behind Brown and Tatum, I think he's easily the third best player on that roster. And I think that he's going to be a huge impact player for them next year. And I think that he, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they jump into the top five next year. I, We've seen Boston just in 2020. They made the conference finals. They made three conference finals in four years. <laughs> the Celtics did. So they're still a supremely talented group. Tatum is one of the best players in the conference. Like, worst case scenario, you could see them, you know, not maybe upsetting the Nets, but you could maybe in a world see them upsetting the Heat or the Hawks or the Sixers. I think that there's a world where they they compete really well in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, Tatum, man, and he gave us a glimpse in that Nets series. That dude, is he's here, like, officially. I mean, we've been talking about him for years now, but that dude is going to – like. Would you be shocked if he went down as a top, let's say, 20 score in NBA history? Would you be shocked? The way he's played so far, I wouldn't be. He was pretty inconsistent in the bubble. Like, I remember there was a half where he scored zero points, and then he scored 28 points in the second half against Miami. I don't remember what game that was, but I remember it happened. I think that if he irons out the inconsistencies, his sidestep is pretty unstoppable. Like, that's one of the better moves in the league. There's like, in terms of like actual moves, it's up there with hard and step back. Like it's when it's going, it's pretty unstoppable. I mean, career 46, 40, 84 shooting slits. I think what's important for him is just getting to the line. And he did that against the nets. If I recall correctly, I wasn't paying. Yeah. He got to the line 10 times a game against Brooklyn. So if he can do like seven, a game in the regular season, and then jump back up to 10 in the playoffs, for like the next couple of years. Yeah. I could absolutely see him being a top 20 scorer of all time. Like he's just so, so good at scoring the ball. And I think that he kind of has the Paul George affect to his game where he's really smooth. So I think that if he can do it, he's definitely, I think I could see him being up there for sure. Yeah. So you have, you have one of the best scores in the league or at least the conference. Then you have Brown, who is becoming just an all-around superstar. I mean, he came into the league as a good defender, a strong guy that can get to the rim. He's turned into a very good isolation scorer. I mean, I think he's been one of the best transition players in the game since he stepped onto the floor in his rookie season. But, I mean, he can do everything. And, you know, you add the defense of – Williams, who can hopefully stay healthy for once. Marcus Smart, Schroeder, Horford. I mean, I they've got a team, man. And there's I, I could definitely see them hanging out around the play-in range as they did this past year. But 
it could be it, it could end up like the Knicks as we talked about earlier, where they get better, but they're either the same in the standings or maybe even a little bit worse. Just because the conference is good, it's going to be better. But either way, I think they're better as a team. That's a good way to put it, and I think that's a good way to wrap up the Celtics. I think the only move we don't need to talk about Beverly. Real quick, okay, two moves for you. What do you think of Bledsoe on the Clippers? Like, they're going to be trying weird shit out next year. Do you think that he can, in the regular season, he can be the guy that they've needed in the regular season for a while that can hold down the fort? I definitely like it more than Beverly and and Rondo. I mean, those go out, those guys, like, especially Beverly, I just, he had a handful of good plays in the finals, but he was, or in the, the West finals, but he was, he was not enough. And as I said with earlier with the Grizzlies, I think Bev, I think Bledsoe in that backup role can be good. Like, I think he's going to be able to bully a lot of these backup point guards around. He's very strong. He should not shoot at all. I will say that. No threes for you, Eric Bledsoe, or maybe just a small amount. But he's he needs to just play his game, play the Phoenix Eric Bledsoe, you know, like – or, or kind of early Milwaukee where he was bullying guys around. That's that's what he needs to do. And he's going to have opportunities because Kawhi's not going to be there. And we know Reggie Jackson's going to take advantage. Obviously, Paul George. I'm sure Marcus Morris will step up. But I, de- I definitely think he gives their bench a little bit more of a dynamic punch, which is something they were lacking last year. And if anyone could get anything out of Eric Bledsoe, it's Ty Lue. I mean, Reggie Jackson was left for dead. And look at him. Look at him. Now Reggie is, you know, Reggie was one of probably the 20 best players in the playoffs last year. Like, an incomprehensible statement just in the 2020 playoffs. So maybe Ty can turn something out of Eric Bledsoe. But if he can't, I think he'll hold down the ship, you know, well enough until Kawhi gets back. You won't see the floor in the playoffs. And then it'll all be good. The last move I included for you was your boy, Hamadou Diallo. He uh, he resigned <laughs> to a two-year, ten million dollar contract. Second year is a player option. So, Dylan, I know you're happy that the Pistons are taking another shot on your boy Hami. Yeah, it's gonna be fun to watch him this year because you know Killian was hurt most of the time, and then you're gonna throw Kate in there. So you've got good passing. Hami is he's I said this before that he's the reason I like Zaire Smith. Zaire Smith was a guard that basically played like a center. And it's kind of why I like Bruce Brown, too. Like, he's these are guys that are good at getting to the rim and finishing. And Diallo is very good at the rim, despite being, like, a pretty thin dude. You know, he's just got good touch. He's got uh, good body placement. Like, he knows where to be. And... I think he's going to be a really nice off-ball threat for those guys. I think he's going to be a guy that can just kind of slide in and fulfill a role. And I would like to see him play with the starters a bit. I mean, I I never thought I'd call the Detroit Pistons stacked, but their starting lineup is pretty filled out. You know, like it's it's tough to see him getting in there. But I think he's going to make an impact for them, and and I hope that he can have a good enough year where – he can hit the market again soon and and get a bigger deal and maybe a bigger role. Um, but listen, man, we're here to prove Sam Presti wrong. That's what the game's about. They just let Makai Luke walk for nothing. I, I just 
I'll never get over it. It was probably the least significant trade in NBA history that I'll like care about, but it was just idiotic. And I hope that he pays for it. Hold on, I'm gonna Google when the Hamadou Diallo trade happened. Um, that happened in March. It's September, <laughs> March 13th. It's been almost exactly six months, and you're still holding on to it. An impressive amount of petty from you, Dylan Hughes. Um, I think that what you brought up is a good point. Him playing with starters. If he can play with Kelly Olynyk out there, then he fits that spot perfectly because Kelly Olynyk is going to be a floor spacer. You know, he'll do all that jazz for you. And I think that, you know, him and if he's playing with Killian or Cade, it'll be good. Um, plug time. All right. So I haven't done this in a while. So I'm a little rusty. And I, I'm going to be honest with you and say I had to go to your Twitter page and to remember the name of your book. But no pressure. Finding happiness in a fear-driven world. All right. Listen, I'm sick of this shit. I haven't done it in a month and I'm sick of this shit. Let me just tell you that. All right. If you don't buy Dylan Hughes's book, I'm going to go to your place of employment and tell them you steal from them. Now, some of these places, it might be a little impractical, right? Like if you work at a steel mill, then it's going to be hard to say, to convince them that you stole from them. But if you work at like a grocery store, I'll just, you know, deep fakes are very real now. I can, you know, put your face over someone who stole something and prove that you stole it. How did I do for the first one in a while, Dylan? I'm a little rusty. Yeah, it, it's um, it, it's lower tier, but I would say that's because you've set the bar so high. Uh, but listen, man, if you want to deep fake some thievery, like that's that's a major inconvenience, man. I mean, you know, they got to find a new place of employment. And I will say right now that it's not that hard to find a job. So no. I, I that's what makes it fair is that, you know, that you're not going to ruin their life. They're just going to have to walk next door to the next grocery store. But it's going to be a major inconvenience for sure. I'm, you know, wondering what the line is here and like what's too far. I think I might have crossed that a couple times already. I'm not sure, but I'm just going to keep going. There's no place to go but down from here, folks. Let's <laughs> divine rhyme. Well, we've been off. Well, I've been off. You haven't been off, Dylan Hughes. You've been on the divine rhyme. Mac Miller month was, I'd say, a rousing success. How are you feeling about that? And are you ready to announce the next month? Because you kind of, you guys put a bow on Mac Miller month with your last episode. Yeah, man, it was a great month, man. It was Mac Miller means a lot to me and will, and it, I feel a lot better about his career now listening to more of the early stuff. It was really good. I think our analysis was great. I was listening to our last pod where we wrapped it up. I'm like, find two people better, man. Find two people that can do this. Seriously. I've not heard, We have a lot of music podcasts that talk about blah, blah, blah. You know, is Drake going to top the charts? All that kind of stuff that no one cares about. I think think Mac Miller was a good example of what we're really capable of. And I think we showed it in the past too, but Mac Miller kind of hit that special spot. So we have a, the new Sturgill Simpson to recap. Um, I'm not sure when we're going to do it because I think he's going to bring his friend on and we got to figure that schedule out. But I'm going to go ahead and and not not announce it yet um, because we'll probably just wait until the pod to do it. But we have someone pretty special coming up after Sturgill. Uh, If I'm who I think it, if it is who I think it is, and Will told me, because, you know, I'm sure you've heard if you listen to this and Divine Rhyme, Will and I work together. I may or may not be coming on for one of those pods. So if it is who I think it is, that would be very exciting. Um, 
Circle City Cinema, they just did the um the Malice of the Palace documentary a couple of weeks ago. Go check that out. That was a fun episode. Um, Lynn Sanity took this week off, but they'll be back week at, after week one, recapping all of the week one action in the NFL. Dylan, I know you're very excited for NFL season. We're actually about an hour after we get off of this call, we're going to be doing a fantasy football draft. So I, I'm very excited for football, even though I will miss <laughs> every game on Sunday except for Sunday night football. But hey, that's the, pi- the price you pay for, you know, needing money. <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm lucky that I found a job where I can work from home um, because, trust me, at my last job, I had to do some some hula hooping to to get around the NFL schedule. It was it was tough, but you know, I, I I'm excited, man. I mean, me and Alex spent like an hour and a half talking mostly about football. It's it's just that time of year, man. And when this pod goes up, we will probably be just approaching the opening night. Cowboys, Bucks, like just inject everything into my veins. And and it's perfect timing because golf is like pretty much just ending for the year. So I can fully focus on football and basketball is coming soon. But basically, we've got two months of, of just football on the schedule. And hey, by the way, college football, Purdue Boymakers with a win and the Hoosiers with a loss. Oh, I should have led with that. Does it get better than this? I don't think it does. I don't I don't even want to get to this Saturday. I just want to live in this week for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, 10 Windiana is not happening this year, folks. Probably not anyway. Iowa was good. So speaking of college football, that's a perfect segue. Triple Ash and Pass. They'll be back, I think, on Friday tomorrow, I think is the, the good way to say it. I they'll be recording an episode on Friday morning. <laughs> So recapping all the week one action. So make sure you check that out. Um, and I think that's everything for the network. So, oh, no, that's everything. So folks, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening. Dylan Hughes, this was a really fun episode. It's It's been a while. And, you know, we're going to be back with a lot more the upcoming weeks. We're going to start our top 100 next week. So that's going to be really fun. Dylan, I can't wait for you to join me for the top 100. We're back, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you.